Welcome to the Pure Football Podcast. This is the stories, tactics, stats and rumours about football in Scotland and beyond by fans for fans. I'm your co-host, Owen Brown. Uh, thanks for listening. Please consider subscribing and telling a friend about the podcast. I'm joined today by Gavin Miller. Gavin, how are you? Yeah, really good, thanks. What about yourself? Yeah, I'm pretty good, thank you. Um, tonight, uh, we're going to be discussing Celtic and Rangers. Um, the old firm, yes, I did use that phrase. They are joint top <laughs> of the league on 22 points after nine games. We're going to analyse their weekend matches. We're going to talk about their upcoming schedules, um, have a little bit of a discussion about their squads, uh, their new appointments of Nick Hammond and Ross Wilson, and any moves that they could potentially make in the Jan- January transfer market in the kind of battle for the Scottish Premiership title. To start with, Gavin, though, Given that Wilson has been appointed by Rangers as sporting director and Hammond has been appointed by Celtic as head of football operations, I was wondering if you were put into a similar role for a fictional or, or football club of your choice, what would you want your job title to be? What What's your role name? So I actually put quite a lot of thought on this and uh, to contextualise that I spent the last hour of my shift and my actual job thinking about what I would say for this and I feel like I've nailed it. Um, so okay. I would go for uh, Capi Di Caccio. Uh, okay, you going to translate that? or uh, Boss of football uh, wow. in Italian. Um, okay. So like Cap- Capo uh, Di Capi is uh, tend to what you associate with a mob. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like I could maybe have that sort of role with my influence on Twitter. So, uh, Capi Di Calcio. Um, okay, is... So, yeah, as you can see, I definitely spent far too long thinking <laughs> about that. <laughs> You're going to parachute into a role at Genoa and have Tiago Mota, uh, who I think is joining there to, to play his 272 formation. Yes, that's exactly that what I live for. Um, and only I was wondering... Game. In terms of the two different names that Celtic and Rangers have given their uh, respective appointments for these things, it was a bit curious to me um, about the kind of wording in them. So, sporting director at Rangers, I was wondering if that is a lingering influence of uh, sports direct, seeing as it's so similar in terms of words. And then, so, uh, head of football operations at Celtic, I wonder if Nick Hammond is going to be tasked with some sort of uh, surgical operations to, pres- to kind of prize the keys to the bank vault out of Peter Lowell's hands <laughs> <laughs> for the January window. Um, that remains to be seen, but I do like your choice of uh, job role there. So um, talking of uh, these two teams, the first thing that we said we would do is do a little bit of match analysis from the weekend. So we'll start with um, the most recent game, which was Hearts versus Rangers on Sunday afternoon. Did you see this match and what were I your did. thoughts about it, Gavin? Yeah, I did. Um, so, for me, um, this was a pretty terrible game of football overall. Um, I think that the results... So, Hearts came out, obviously, um, out the traps flying. They were really aggressive in the first five, ten minutes. Uh, they got the rewards. Uh, the warning signs for Rangers were there when... Uchi hit the bar after, you know, what, a minute or so. Uh, Hearts had then a number of, of corners. Um, and then they made Rangers pay the price um, when James Tavernier made uh, another mistake. Um, and it's something that I thought we could maybe talk about a little bit because Rangers, um, probably three worst performances of the season um, have came from mistakes by James Tavernier. Um so the game against Celtic, where he uh, effectively played Edward in one on one with um, McGregor, uh, with that, or sorry, allowed Celtic to, I think it was three on two. I think uh, when Tavernier gave the ball away in a pretty poor position, he then slipped trying to volley the ball away against young boys away, and then a really poor attempt at a back back pass header uh, against Hearts. Um, when he actually probably could have let the ball bounce to McGregor, um, which was just a strange choice. Um, so yeah, I just thought I'd mention that, and I was wondering if there was any. Do you think there's any correlation with uh, Tavernier's individual mistakes, and then Rangers maybe not being able to bounce back from it? Uh, maybe um, the the thing I'd kind of noted down before discussion was I was wondering maybe whether the criticism of Tavernier is a little bit over the top. Um, so yes, there's those three key um, errors that have led to bad results, but um, you know there was other things in these games 
um, that you could criticise Rangers for as well. Oh, yeah, it's not absolutely. Not just fault for these mistakes. And he has had quite a few games where he's you know done very good things. Um, I think it's maybe been difficult for him. It's a different situation without having Candace in front of him offensively. I think that we saw against Hearts that it, it changes the opportunity for him to put in cross balls because he doesn't have somebody maybe drawing the attention um, of the left back or the left midfielder the way that Candace would. Um, but there's, but and I, I do think there have been games where he's done a lot of good stuff offensively for Rangers still. Sure. And uh, I, I, when you say um, about you know what, what your kind of point was there, do you mean in terms of a confidence thing or something after yeah. the mistake because he's you know the kind of captain and things. Yeah, that that's what, what I was. That's what I was more getting at. It was more mm-hmm. the mental aspect of it opposed to the, you know, his overall performance for the season. It's just, it's just a, maybe it's a strange coincidence that it's in these games where he makes mistakes that okay. have cost the Rangers. So I was, you know, I was wondering if there's maybe something in that that I personally don't even think he's a, a captain. If I'm being honest, in terms of what I like from a captain. Um, but it doesn't feel like Rangers have a lot of other options at the moment. Um, but back to the game itself, um, I feel like in this game, Rangers allowed themselves to be drawn into Hearts' match plan. Uh, and I think Steven Gerrard maybe needs to look at that um, and his coaching staff need to look at that as that's you know there's evidence of Rangers allowing themselves to play to their opposition's strengths rather than to continue to play what is the Rangers' strengths. Um, You know, I think there was an opportunity to really try and work that Hearts midfield with lots of, you know, triangles and short passes, uh, maybe try and, you know, pull Glenn Whelan all over the place. Um, But Rangers sort of elected for uh, a lot of long balls in this game. Um, And I think, you know, there's been a lot of praise for Nico Katic in the last sort of three to four months about how his game's improving, but there's still huge question marks for me about his decision-making when he's on the ball. I have no doubts about, you know, when he's going up for a header or he's going in for a battle, any of these things. Um, But I think that he does not look comfortable when he has the ball at his feet still. Um, And I I don't have the the stats or data to back up just now, but I do feel like... uh, Katic doesn't do as well when he's playing with Glenn Kamara in front of him. Uh, I, I, there's just something in my head about those two together that because I feel like Kamara shows for the ball, but he also has tendencies for me to sort of hide as well. Um, so I know that sounds contradictive, but um, I think you know, for me, I think. There's just something in that. Um, okay. But that's a gut feeling that I don't have anything to physically back it up on, but that's just from what I, I, I sort of feel like I've seen. Mm. Um, well, we maybe need to dig into that, maybe see if you can you know, point out some examples of specifics in the game where that's uh, come about. I completely agree with pretty much everything you said there, though, Gavin. Um, I think that this... Um, and we are kind of focusing on Rangers and Celtic this week, so this will mainly be in terms of an analysis about this game, about the, the difficulties for Rangers. I think they'll be very disappointed, obviously. Um, you know, it was a, a great opportunity for them to kind of go ahead in the league, um, and they've not taken that. And I think you're completely right that there was an issue, perhaps, with them not playing their own game. Um, there have been some other examples, you know, St Mirren and Kilmarnock this season when they've gone away from home and it's been a little bit of a struggle for them to um, play their own game and kind of make chances by playing their own game. Um, for, for me, um, there was a, a, a kind of a lack of attacking presence throughout the match um, and I think that they need to make a decision in that area, maybe to have fewer central midfielders um, or maybe move our field back to be one of them um, for his kind of runs beyond uh, Morelos. Um, the the kind of formation that they were playing, you're, you're essentially relying for from quality from wide positions quite a bit. And when the quality is maybe not there, um, when you know, Ojo's not having a good game and Tavernier's not maybe able to deliver things into the box, it causes a bit of an issue. Um, couldn't get a ball into Morelos's feet often. There was maybe one or two instances in the entire game where he was able to come a wee bit deep and link up, and and you know that wasn't good enough. Um, and as a result of all these things, they um, yeah they, they they didn't manage to make 
you know, chances. I think they had six shots in the entire game. Rangers had one shot on target. Um, that's very out of the ordinary for them, um, particularly this season. You know, they've been generating a huge amount of shots. Um, and I think your your point about um, Gerard is is a good one. Um, I think that after the game, um, Gerard's kind of you know set the um, narrative that this is about mentality and, you know, essentially hearts were up for it in the opening 10, 15 minutes and that's what um, was a problem for Rangers. But I'm always a little bit cautious when NMD kind of says it's down to um, the kind of mentality because I I generally think that players at that level are up for the game. Um, But my question might be whether there are some tactical issues at play there uh, in terms of, you know, how Gerrard asked people to approach the game. Not, not, I mean, I'm sure they all they did, you know, work on tactics, but maybe just about how much emphasis he was potentially putting on mentality and being up for it before the game. Um, you know, I, I was also thinking about the aspect again about maybe the way Gerard perceives these things, given that he was a player that was so successful at such a high level. It might be that when you are in that position, when you're thinking in hindsight about what won you the big games. You might have a tendency to overrate your um, kind of passion and mentality and stuff when you think back at those games, as opposed to what you know tactically Benitez did or, or whatever to win the games. So I just wonder about that whether Gerard's making it a little bit too much about mentality for the players, and, and maybe that's causing them to um, lose lose the place a wee bit in terms of tactics in the early part of a game like that. Um, and yeah, like you said, end up playing Hearts kind of at their own game. Um, and and perhaps other things like the midfield being a bit similar and they're not really making good good chances. Any Absolutely. other thoughts on this? Or? I was just going to say that I felt like what Rangers maybe should have tried to do more was maybe allow Hearts a little bit more possession uh, and try and draw Berra and Smith further forward um, to create more space for Morelos to run in behind. There was a couple of times mm. in the second half where there was that one great move from Rangers from the Hearts corner where... Um, for whatever reason, Morelos decided to cut it back in the box to Arfield rather than shoot. Um, But that move was excellent and that was, Mm -hmm. you know, a really quick transition. Um, And I feel that that's something that Hearts in general probably struggle against. Um, Mm -hmm. So for me, I didn't see a lot of that in the game. Um, And, you know, Mm -hmm. players like Ojo, etc., their their asset is their pace. So if you want to get the best out of him, you maybe want to give him the space to run into, whereas I felt like that was missing for large parts of the games for Rangers, which, I don't know, I feel like maybe at times Gerrard um, can maybe overcomplicate things uh, and overthink things and then get drawn into things that <clears throat> maybe aren't there or um, allow themselves to think, because hearts are going to be physical, we have to match them rather than you know we have to play our game. Sure. Yeah, I think that's a fair kind of assessment of things. However, um, you know, I guess Rangers have to be happy that they still took a point from this. Um, their level with Celtic is a missed opportunity for them, but um, yeah, um, a point still gained, I guess, in the game given how it started. Um, shall we move on to talk about the Celtic versus Ross County match? At this yeah, point? absolutely. Okay, so um, that was on Saturday and. Celtic um, bounce back from their uh, defeat to Livingston with a 6-0 victory at home against uh, Ross County. Did you happen to see any of this game? you seen highlights? Or... I did, I've seen the highlights of this, yeah. Okay. Right. Um, I-, I watched the, the full match. What, what, what did you think about this game, Gavin? What was your I thought, thoughts? so from a Celtic perspective, it was incredible the amount of attempts on goal, right? Um, mm. They just obliterated Ross County, but Part of me does think that Ross County allowed that to happen. Um, I feel like, uh, you know, we spoke before about their defensive frailties and our concerns about um, their defensive setup. And I think, you know, against a team like Celtic, you you know, especially away, you've got to be naive to try and think, you know, that's the right way to set up. Um, and it just played into, you know, Celtic's hands completely. And they made the absolute most of it. And, you know, it, it was 6-0 going on 12 um, was the way that I sort of felt. Um, it just felt like every time they went forward, um, there was going to be a goal. Um, so, yeah, it was uh, really impressed by El Yanusi. Uh, I think he's starting to look like uh, every bit of the £15 million player that Southampton signed. Um, and you can see why. You know, he's still young. Um, 
brought in by someone we'll speak about later, Ross Wilson. But uh, <laughs> yeah, just I, I, there's so many things for Celtic as well. You know, um, I'll let you speak about your guy Frimpong. Um, but uh, yeah, I was just overall really impressed with Celtic. I liked their aggressiveness. Um, I liked that they freed Shved. Um, so that you know, I think it's it's. There were so many good performances from the Celtic team that it's hard to sort of <clears throat> individually pick out one player. Um, I've not even mentioned Edward, and he absolutely bossed it as well. Um, so yeah, I'll, I, I think it's you know ten out of ten from a Celtic perspective. Yeah, it was a pretty incredibly dominant uh, match. Like you said, it was um, um, a, a real kind of one-sided affair in terms of shots as well as goals. So I think Celtic ended up having 28 shots um, and Ross County just had two. Celtic had 11 corners, Ross County had zero. Um, and, and I think that you saw a lot of things in this game about um, you know what the benefits of Celtic's recent recruitment has been. So, firstly, for me, um, well, you mentioned Jeremy Fringpong, the you know eighteen-year-old that they've recently got from uh, Manchester City as a right back. Um, so, I think you saw the benefit in this game of having two um, fullbacks who are very athletic and capable in terms of attack. It really means that you can dominate and stretch the opposition. Um, as much as Frimpong did really, really well, and we'll, we'll come on to that, I think um, you mentioned Ross County's kind of um, shape and, and tactics and so on. I think there were some issues with the personnel selection. So on the left flank, playing up against Frimpong and James Forrest, Ross County had Richard Foster at left back, who's 34 years old, and they had Gardine playing at left midfield, who's going to turn 34 in January. And they had an absolutely disastrous afternoon. Gardine in particular, um, he was kind of uh, mercifully relieved of his duties Mm -hmm. um, just before the hour because Frimpong um, absolutely took him to town uh, multiple times with kind of twists and turns. Um, So very, very difficult afternoon for Ross County on that side. Um, As well as that, um, I was really impressed by Elianusi. I felt that in the kind of earlier part of the season, um, for instance, against Hamilton, when he was doing the kind of runs um, or the movement um, into the middle, uh, away from his position, it felt a little bit like he was just drifting, trying to get into the game or, or just moving because it was a, a thing to do. But now um, in these games, it feels like when he's moving, it's with a purpose. So against Ross County, for instance, there was quite a lot of lateral movement where he would maybe start out wide on the left wing. And then maybe McGregor would collect the ball um, in midfield and El Unusi would come inside laterally to kind of 10 space um, and Bolongoli would be able to push up high in the left wing. And it was really effective, those kind of things. And and you saw also that El Unusi got loads of shots and obviously goals as a result of that kind of lateral movement. It just felt a lot more purposeful. Um, and apart from that, Ross County, I'm not entirely sure why they did it. Maybe because El Unusi was given... Um, him such a tough time but at half time when it was still 1-0 Ross County swapped Keith Watson who had been playing at right back with Marcus Fraser who had been playing as the right sided centre back and you know Fraser generally plays right back for Ross County but they'd start him at centre back and he he hadn't done great in, in the first half remember there was all these shots all these chances but there had only been one goal um, but with Watson putting at the right sided central back well they, they conceded four goals within 10 minutes of the restart after <laughs> halftime. So that was just a, a disastrous move. And, and he and Fontaine really, really struggled um, in terms of their positioning and, and dealing with the movement of Edward and El Yunusi and um, Forrest and, and so on and the passing from the likes of Rodgers and McGregor. Um, so really, really brilliant performance from Celtic. Very dominant uh, result. I think that um, both Rangers and Celtic they will do this to teams of that sort this season. Um, there's a, you know, a big gulf, I think, in general between them and most of the rest of the table. So these things are going to happen. I think both Rangers and Celtic have, have already scored like 19 goals at home each. Um, so there'll be more results of this sort. For Celtic, <clears throat> I guess that's another lesson about quite similar to Rangers in a way, maybe just of you know following their own blueprint and, and not perhaps yeah. second-guessing themselves. So we, we saw against Livingston that they they kind of essentially played long ball against Livingston at points. Um, we saw against Hibs away when they drew that they played Ryan Christie on the right wing and moved James Forrest to the left. Well, you know, what a surprise, you know, maybe when you just kind of stick to what it is that you're good at. 
um, and, and the kind of patterns you have, then maybe that's when you're most successful. And they're yeah. not alone in doing this. I think if you watch Liverpool away to Manchester United on Sunday as well, Liverpool tried to mix things up a wee bit in the absence of Salah, and um, you know it, it maybe just causes people to then think. Um, it's a mentality issue or the players want up for it or whatever but I think a lot of these things can be tactical and systemic and um, yeah very, very encouraging for Celtic and I thought particularly as well very encouraging that they managed to score so many goals without uh, Christie um, yeah. which was notable um, anything you want to kind of add into to that at all at this point just to um, round up on our, our uh, two game sort of analysis there I just yeah. wanted to say uh, I feel like there's a bit of a correlation between Gerrard and um, Neil Lennon in terms of their value of the battling characteristics um, I think sure. if you look at performances over time you'll see that the games where they drop points are the games where they allow themselves to be uh, embroiled in you know, physical contests opposed to playing the way they play uh, and I know you sort of just mentioned it there but I just feel like it's quite interesting how you know that's uh, apparent for both Rangers and Celtic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's a very fair point, and you're. I think you're right to kind of point to comparison that way. Um, also, respect to you for using the word correlation twice so far in the podcast. That's pretty <laughs> good going for me. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's what I meant. So um, yeah, let, let's move forward a wee bit and look a little bit at the schedule for both these teams. Um, so they're both in European action this week um, in the Europa League. Celtic are at home to Lazio on Thursday and Rangers are away to Porto on Thursday. Um, We previously did uh, kind of bonus Europa League episodes for both of the teams earlier in the kind of group stage. If you've not checked those out, um, please do so. We get any um, bonus content coming this week, Gavin? We do. Uh, We've got uh, Chloe Beresford um, and Zach Lowy, who will be... um, those pods will be available on Thursday, um, just before the game. So Thursday morning. Two experts to look out for with some discussion about your team or the teams that they'll be facing. That, that's great. Um, in terms of other um, schedule for the teams, I think this is really important because there have only been nine, nine games in the season and you know they both faced uh, slightly different uh groupings of teams so far and different orders and obviously um you know some games at home some away so celtic after lazio they face aberdeen away then st Mirren at home uh then they have hibs in the betfred cup semi-final then lazio away then motherwell at home then livingston at home then wren at home and then ross county and um, that kind of takes us to the start of december um rangers after the porto match play uh motherwell at home ross county away then they have their Betfred Cup final, uh, semi-final rather against Hearts on the third of November. Then it's Porto at home, Livingston away, Hamilton away, Feyenoord at home, and Hearts at home uh, on the first of December as well. So, th- I think that the kind of thing that I'm wanting to point out there is these are absolutely jam-packed schedules. Um, we're starting to see the kind of intensity of the season with European games. Um, and uh, League Cup games for both teams. So uh, I think that. Lennon maybe faced a bit of criticism for his selection against Livingston after the Clues game, you know, for keeping it so similar. And also I was, you know, wondering how will Gerrard handle it? You know, there's a bit of pressure perhaps on Gerrard to win something this season, you know, maybe a League Cup, maybe, you know, and possibly get through the Europa League stage. So what do you think about that? Is, Is rotation going to be a major factor, Gavin? What are your thoughts on the kind of schedule there? So I think a positive for Rangers is the return of Ryan Kent. Um, I think that will allow for some natural rotation, um, Mm. which I think will be a good thing. I do think you're right in the sense of I think uh, this season is a a trophy as a a must for Rangers. Um, I'm not so sure about progression in Europe uh, Mm -hmm. in the sense of getting to the next phase. I think as long as they remain competitive, that will still be seen as progress. the group this year is definitely tougher than last year. Um, mm. So I'm not sure that they need to progress there. I think, you know, as I said, if they can build on their performances, um, I think just listen to you read out the two sort of league schedules, it feels like mm. Rangers is maybe a little bit easier uh, out of the two um, for the next run of domestic games. Um, but I think Motherwell um, at home will be a, a real tough test for Rangers. Um I think Motherwell looked to bounce back, and there was a couple of times last season where Motherwell caused, uh, sorry, caused Rangers some 
some real troubles. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, I'll be interested to see for that. In terms of Celtic, I, I do. I was actually a little bit surprised with the selection choice um, for Celtic on Saturday, based on the fact that you know they had the Lazio game coming. So I do sort of get some of the the concerns, maybe about uh, Lennon not rotating. Mm. Um, especially someone like Cal McGregor, I think you know he scored at the weekend, but the amount of games that he's played over the last eighteen months is just—it's almost—it's yeah, it's bad. So, so McGregor, Brown, and Forrest, are they all going to play the Ross County match, the Lazio match, and the Aberdeen match? You would think so, right? Yeah. Um, and that's that's a lot of minutes, isn't it, in an intense space of time? Um, so yeah, that's something to watch, I, I guess, for those guys. Um, I had noticed, kind of looking at um, some stats bomb, kind of defensive activity maps to to see Celtic. It looks like last season there was a bit of a lack of intensity in terms of their pressing on the top left of the field where kind of Scott Sinclair is, um, and that might be natural just because maybe his role was maybe more to get on the end of you know chances, cutbacks and stuff, and less to be active. But it maybe also be that you know due to his age and stuff, there's. Uh, less likelihood he would be doing those kind of things and, and he is at times a little bit slower to close people down anyway um, this season so far um, it's kind of reversed um, so there's a bit more activity on the top left maybe that's El Yunusi you know being quite busy and so on and uh, quite a bit less on the right so I'm just something to keep an eye on um, in terms of Forrest and his kind of you know the defensive activity the kind of pressing aspects that he provides um, particularly given that Christie can drift to the right at times I was a little bit surprised to see um, that it wasn't quite as much there so may- maybe it is that Forrest's not quite as active and just while, while we're briefly talking about kind of stats and things there was a couple of other things that I just kind of noticed and just wanted to point out so um, just in terms of chance creation and chance con- conceding for, for both teams um in terms of the XG that these teams are both uh, making, um, well, both get most of their XG um, over a quarter from uh, attacks that start in the opposition half and have four or more passes. So a bit of kind of build-up play, but in advanced areas really helps these teams to kind of create. It's not really a shock, I guess you would say, but just something to keep an eye on as um, the season progresses. Um, at the other end of the pitch, um, if you exclude penalties... Celtic concede two-thirds, over two-thirds, um, of the XG that they concede from set pieces. So that's the area that they can perhaps be got at. Um, and Rangers concede, um, the, the most of the XG that Rangers concede is from counter-attacks. So over a quarter of Rangers um, XG conceded from counter-attacks. So those are kind of the areas perhaps that they um, might want to consider in terms of chance uh, concede. Con- concession um, and the final thing I wanted to say in the kind of schedule and stats Gavin was um, both teams are six points clear of the rest at the moment after nine games um, I was wondering if you wanted to make a prediction as to how many points they would be clear um, by the time we go to the split so that'll be what 33 games into the season so that's like what 24 more games Um the teams behind might be doing a wee bit better. Maybe Aberdeen will have done, done something, but what what do you think the gap might be then? Any idea? Uh, I wasn't expecting you to ask me that, so I'm Sorry, trying to think of a number in my head. <laughs> uh, I feel like there is a big drop-off this season in quality, sure. um, so I don't have what it was last year, but I'm going to say 24. Four points. Well, okay. I'll go a bit less. I'm going to say it'll be a, a 16 point gap at the start of the split, okay, um, between Celtic and Rangers and the, the rest. Um, so um, that, that was a good little discussion about um, the matches at the weekend and, um, you know, schedule and what's to come in the table and so on. Um, next thing that we kind of wanted to look at was um, a bit of squad analysis um, for both teams. So um, what do you um, what are your kind of main takeaways when you look at um, Celtic's squad at the moment, Gavin? Any kind of thoughts on it? Uh, I still think it's bloated. Uh, okay. I still think they've got a huge amount of players to to try and fit in, mm. which is a good problem to have. Um, okay. But I guess if you're looking for how do you progress that squad, maybe if you're wanting to get further in Europe, if you know, obviously they done it last year, which was great, um, but. I think you know it could be difficult for Celtic uh, when Griffiths comes back. How they manage the three strikers—that's mm. always been a concern for me because I feel like 
you know, bios start to show that he's coming into a game, right? And uh, it's starting to look quite quite good. Um, Edward mm, is obviously... Not sure. Are you not sold? No, uh, I'm not sold at all. Um, the, the thing, briefly, what I would say about that, right, I would be quite interested to see whether... Um, don't know what the situation is with Griffiths, right, and when he will come back and so on. And obviously, he might well be somebody that Lennon would want to have around uh, for his experience and, you know, part of the unit and, you know, obviously delivers goals and is good at set pieces and so on. I was wondering if um, what Griffiths would be thinking, what the kind of future holds for him and whether he might be considering seeing if he can get a loan uh, at January to get some minutes. And then whether Celtic might want to bring in another forward on loan to challenge for the second spot. Not convinced by Bio. Um, I, okay. I think maybe in terms of the role that he's used to playing, it's quite different to what Celtic would play. Most of the goals and chances I've seen him being involved in for his previous teams were kind of on the counter-attack. Um, yes, crosses, which Celtic do, but more kind of counter-attack crosses. And I, I just think that there's been... I don't know. I think it's difficult for him because some of the time that he's been kind of put on, it's limited substitute minutes when perhaps they're um, approaching things in a, in a kind of throw everything at the wall, long balls and so on, like against Hibs and Livingston and so on. So tough yeah. to judge him on things. But for instance, when he came on against Ross County, um, he, yeah, he's just, I don't know if the, the clinical edge is there. Um, so I, I, by no means would I ever you know, write somebody off at, at this kind of stage or anything like that um, but one to keep an eye on, I don't know but anyway, ca- carry on, what, what are we going to say about the rest of the kind of squad there, where do you yeah. think floated what are your thoughts? I think in a, quite a lot of positions as well, one of the ones that I think maybe doesn't really get spoken about but um, when Scott Bain comes back from injury you know, mm. um, Fraser Forster Craig Gordon and Scott Bain Forster's clearly number one but you know, Bain could argue, you know, he had two bad, really bad games last season towards the end, which is maybe sticking in people's minds. But, you know, I think that he he might feel hard done by. Craig Gordon is obviously, you know, it's maybe not, I'm not saying he's number one, but he's he's going to be on a fairly decent salary, right, for um, an older keeper, and he's still there. Um the wide areas, you've got Lewis Morgan, Scott Sinclair that can't get a sniff. That again, Scott Sinclair is one of the, the top earners at Celtic. Um, so I guess that those are some of the areas that maybe stick out to me. We've not seen a whole lot of Schwed. You've got <coughs> Mikey Johnston to come back. And like I said, these are good. This is a good problem to have. But mm. I do just. This is the football manager player, me coming out. I would never have a squad bigger than 22, but that's me yeah. just being me. Um, Sure. So, so yeah, that's my sort of takeaway. You've got you know Arzani as well to come back, so mm. you, you're going to expect injuries over the season. And you know some of the players I mentioned there are injured, so that obviously shows it's advantageous to have uh, depth. Mm. But um, yeah, that's just my, my sort of th- my thinking about the Celtic squad in terms of where they improve. I'm not too sure on that because um, yeah. I think you know Frimpong. If he has only been one game, but he looks like he could be quite good. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the competition with Bauer um, for the right back slot and uh, El. Abdel Hamid. Yep, that's it. Um, you know, that's, for me, that's enough competition for mm. one slot. What about sure. you? What's your sort of takeaway? Uh, well, I, I don't disagree with the things you pointed to there, um, I guess. I think Celtic will just accept the fact that they've got those three keepers. And yes, um, it might be a bit frustrating for Bain. And yes, Gordon might expect to be a first or second choice somewhere. But I think they'll just stick with that. Um, they won't take any risks in that area in January. Um, I think that you're you're right to point out that there's a lot of depth at attacking midfield or winger position. We've spoken about that before. Um, I guess that they're, again probably just going to be happy with that you know there's a lot of competition um that they're in there's a lot of competition for places i guess the one guy that you could maybe say might be looking for something would be lewis morgan we saw him get quite a lot of minutes towards the start of the season i don't really see those coming around anymore so maybe in january he he looks for a loan move out um you know he's not a young young player anymore he really needs to be playing um and maybe we'll see what happens with arzani you know see if he gets a 
opportunity, how he's come back from injury and so on. Um, for, for me, maybe the one place that they would be perhaps looking to strengthen, and we'll, we'll come on to this towards the end of the show when we talk about January, is um, maybe centre-back, actually. So, you know, Julian and I are seem to be the kind of stick-ons for the partnership, um, but Simunovic is injured, and, and this is not his first injury by any stretch of the imagination. There's been, you know, recurrent or, um, you know, fairly consistent injury problems there. Nir Bouton has stepped in and played fine as centre-back, I guess, and Abdel Hamid can play there as well. Um, Jack Hendry, uh, we don't really know what you know is going to happen with him, but it seems like Celtic wouldn't really be considering him as a starter. So you know there might be a wee question mark about whether they can bring in another option um, there. Um, but sure, we'll, we'll we'll come on to some thoughts about what they might want to do in January potentially in a moment. What what about your thoughts on the the Rangers squad? Is there anything there, you want to kind of say about them? Just some of the same sort of things. I feel like um, there's a little bit of a bloatedness, um, especially in central position for Rangers, uh, considering they don't really rotate a whole lot um, mm. in that sort of area. Um, so you've got Ryan Jack, Steve Davis, Greg Doherty, um, Glenn Kamara, Andy King, um, Scott Arfield can play there, Joe Aribo. Um, mm-hmm. If worst came to worst, you also have Andy Halliday, but I would never ever play him. Um, but yeah, that's you know seven players for three positions that doesn't get a whole lot of rotation. And sure. uh, I'm actually a little bit surprised to be perfectly honest. I feel like Steve Davis is playing more minutes than I would probably mm. like. He's been fairly effective for Rangers. I think um, some Rangers fans will view it as he's one of their key players, but I I'm not sure that at times he doesn't cause an issue by slowing the play down um, where uh, I think for Rangers one of the, the things they look better at is when they, they attack with a bit of purpose and pace um, so yeah I think the central areas look look um, like a, a, a bit sort of I don't know how to describe it but just full uh, and then an area of weakness for me is uh, is actually up front um, mm. you know they've only got Alfredo Morales and Jermaine Defoe I think people are maybe, I'll probably get shot for this, but people are maybe too caught up in uh, Jermaine Defoe's goals. I think there's, you know, he scored, uh, what, two hat-tricks this season to make him top scorer in the league. Um, His goals per 90 will be outrageous, but um, I think that, you know, a a hat-trick against, what was it, Hamilton, or a hat-trick against uh, Hibs when you won 6-0, um, I'm not sure that I would want to be giving minutes to someone that's 35 or 36, whatever age he is. I think that's probably not the best thing for Rangers going forward. Uh, and I do have a sort of longer term question about maybe the goalkeeping situation. Um, mm. Wes Fodringham is uh, available for a pre-contract uh, come January. And I think he's at an age where he will absolutely want to be playing. Um, I think he looks more than capable of being a number one somewhere. Um, whether that's still with Rangers or elsewhere, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, that's my sort of uh, summary of the Rangers squad just now. What about yourself? Sure. Um, well, I agree with kind of all of the things that you said. Um, there's definitely a bit of congestion, isn't there, in terms of central midfield. Um, I am most concerned about the impact that's having on Greg Doherty. Um, so, you know, I'm a big fan of kind of young Scottish players. Um, I really like Greg Doherty. It's just concerning that he's not able to get any minutes at all in the league. Um, he's, he's training with the first team squad, you know, so in their uh, training, the final training that Rangers had on Friday before the Hearts match, um, he was involved in that, you know, and, and it was only, you know, a tight squad to kind of, you know, match up there but then he doesn't make the bench trend like that for the game. So it's very difficult. Um, he's kind of stuck in a bit of limbo there where, you know, essentially he's part of the squad, but he's not getting any league minutes. So, you know, something needs to give for him. Um, I, I think I agree with you as well on the goalkeeper situation. So I think we'd pinpointed this a little while back and um, I, I was probably a little bit negative about McGregor. He's had a, a good season in terms of shot stopping. I think there's still um, at times some question marks still for me there um, and that's maybe something to keep an eye on throughout the season but the, the real key point as you pointed to is what happens at the end of the season so I think he's been offered an extension and you know I'd assume he's going to take it but are Rangers 
going to be in a position where they're they're starting them next season. I don't know. Um, and then what was the plans for that? And I, I think you're right as well. Um, might be interesting to have a different option up front. Um, you know, maybe somebody that can offer similar sort of mobility to Morelos, but also with the, um, you know, not sacrificing goal goals and, and not meaning that they change style, you know, not like a kind of Kyle Lafferty type or anything like that. But the, the key thing for me, maybe, when looking at the Rangers squad, again, is in the attacking midfield kind of winger positions. Um, uh, so similar to Celtic, there's, there's a lot of bodies there. There's a lot of people. But I think maybe the thing I would say in comparison to Celtic is that there's maybe not the level of quality, um, yeah. at least not in terms of maybe goal scoring um, from those kind of individuals. So you've got Kent, you've got Arfield, whether we count him in that position or not, you know, I don't know, given it's it's maybe not working as well right now. You've got Shea Ojo, you've got Jamie Murphy, who will hopefully be back you know, fully from injury quite soon. You've got Brandon Barker, you've got Greg Stewart, you've got Eros Gresda. Um, and then, you know, out alone, they've got Glenn Middleton and, and Jake Hasty. So I, I would say, you know, for the, the latter group of those, after, you know, Kent and Arfield, um, through Ojo, Murphy, Barker, Stewart and Gresda, um, you know, all, all good players, all fine players, but maybe not the highest level. Um, so that might be an issue for Rangers that there's a lot of depth, but maybe not top level quality there in, in that area for me. Um but yeah, shall we talk about the people who are going to sort these issues out for them? Yeah, let's uh, do it. That's not me and you by any means. <laughs> <laughs> but Why that's, not? Uh, <laughs> it's Nick Hammond and Ross Wilson. Well, they're, they're far more qualified for the jobs, firstly. I guess that's why not. Um, so uh, just a little bit of detail about both of them. So firstly, Wilson, um, Rangers Sporting Director. Um, he uh, graduated from Strathclyde University with a degree in social science. He was at Falkirk for a while, um, I think seven years as kind of head of football development and administration, um, did a master's in sports management at Stirling Uni there, uh, then went out to Watford as football business director, um, was kind of responsible for player recruitment, contract negotiations and so on. Um, and then he went to Huddersfield as um, a head of football operations, spent three years there. Um, they were you know, quite successful through that time. Um, and then, of course, he went to Southampton, where he's been for last kind of four years. And I think initially he was uh, director of scouting and recruitment, but he's had more responsibility lately with them since they sacked their vice chairman, Les Reed. Um, so what what are your kind of thoughts on on Wilson? What, what do you know about him, Gavin? Any kind of details you got to share with us? Yeah, there's a couple of things that stood out for me. So first of all, it was about his love for the game. Um I didn't realise this, but a large part of his time at Falkirk was unpaid, um, which I think shows a great level of commitment to anything if you're doing it for nothing. Um, You know, it's a bit of a dream job, right? It's a bit of the football manager um, type role, which I'm sure most, you know, avid football fans would love and, you know, even the opportunity to do it would be great. But at the end of the day, if you're inputting so much of your time, especially in a role like that, for pretty much next to nothing seems, you know, that's a huge level of commitment. Um, Again, and- that um, that really frustrates me to hear that. I didn't know that he'd done a, a kind of free roll in a sense um, for Falkirk. And what I want to say briefly about that is just that as much as I'm sure based on the things I've read and, and kind of seen that Ross Wilson seems to be a, a really, really capable person um, and I think will be a really good appointment for Rangers, you, you have to... Well, just I, I don't like free work essentially. Um, for NMD, I understand the realities of things and that people do these things, but um, I just think that if clubs at any level are employing people and not paying them, then it means that there are people that can't afford to do those jobs because there's people that just can't do free work, um, yep. because you know of, of you know needs and, and so on, and perhaps not in a privileged position to be able to do that. And I just mean that I, I think that that means that we limit the diversity of our candidates and stuff for jobs and things. So just want to put it out there that I'm not a fan of that, but that doesn't take away from the fact that I think that Wilson will be a success and is clearly good at his job. So on. Yeah. So um, carry on. Tell, tell yeah. So I, I don't I don't disagree with you know your your sort of overall statement there. I think that. Um, in terms of Wilson, I think it's it's a positive in terms of his characteristic, in terms mm-hmm. of how his hard work has paid off for him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's really good to see. Um, I think that if you look at some of the 
the recruitment strategies of clubs like Watford and Huddersfield uh, and Southampton over that that period. There's quite a lot of positives in terms of the, you know, what transfers are always judged um, sort of after the fact, right? In terms of hindsight, yeah, exactly. But I think there's the the sort of art of actually was that player the right fit? Was that player, you know, what what made you get to that decision that he was the player Mm -hmm. you should buy? And -hmm. I think if you were to look on paper at the, you know, the 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 players brought in by all three of those clubs, I think there's a lot that, you know, would tick a box to say, you know what, that signing makes complete sense to me. Um, There could be a number of reasons, not just based on a player's, um, you know, nationality. It It could be just as difficult for someone moving from, you know, one side of Britain to another side of Britain. Um, you know, a player might never have left their home, you know, their sort of hometown, and you know that adjustment. There's could be so many things that I think we just don't factor in mm-hmm. uh, to you know what actually happens in the transfer and what makes it successful. But yeah, I think you know, for me, that's the thing that I like to see, and um, I think the profile of the the players that Wilson signed it ticks a box for me as well. Uh, I started writing an article which will hopefully be out soon um, but just to give some sort of snippets of that away um, the average age of the player that Ross Wilson signs is uh, 23.6 years old and that's for me players that have proven that they've got enough promise and that are about to move into a period where they should hit their prime which I think is what you would want um, at a club like Rangers um, You've also got that good age for selling on as well. Uh, if you know if they are doing well, um, he he didn't sign anyone for Southampton, uh, or so he didn't sign anyone over the age of twenty nine at all. Um, and the one signing they made at twenty nine was, uh, I think it was Jeremy Pied on a free transfer from Nice, who was a bit of a utility player. So maybe that's a, a you know. Something that uh, I forgot his name now. What was the French manager called again? It was at Southampton, Claude Puel. Yeah. Um, maybe that was something that he wanted. I don't know. Mm. But um, yeah, and I, I just feel like there's maybe something about Wilson apply, uh, yeah, applying an identity to the club sure. that he's at. So that's you know really good for me. That's really interesting. Um, I think that's definitely something to watch out for. Basically, you're saying no more Defoe's and Davies. Yeah. Um, just, um, well, be be interesting to keep an eye on. I did think there was some interesting quotes um, from uh, Wilson and from Rangers when he was appointed. I guess one of the things that you pointed to in what you were saying there, that it's difficult to know how to assess these people and their their performance from the outside. I'm sure Rangers will have some sort of um, way of doing that. But also I think one of the things that can make it difficult is that there's a little bit of a lack of um, clarity about what the role is. We, we can see that alone from the different names that these roles are given and the differences in terms of what the uh, job duties might involve at um, different clubs. I, I, I feel like maybe Wilson's comments when he joined Rangers point to the fact that there might have been a lack of clarity at Southampton, perhaps after Reed was dismissed and when maybe his role changed a wee bit. Because what, what he said, and this is both kind of illuminating about that but also interesting to me about how he and Rangers are intending to approach things and and quite encouraging. Um, He said um, it was important that both the club and I shared the same understanding of what this role is and what the football model and culture inside the club needs to look like going forward Um, and this role is of course about continuing the development and growth of the club's football operations and football infrastructure across the whole club. In that regard I'm looking forward to working in and developing all areas of our football departments and none more so than the academy with Craig Mulholland and his team. So that that was quite interesting, he's clearly kind of pointing to the fact that they've defined his role quite clearly we would expect him to have an involvement in recruitment, as you pointed to, and there's some pointers there about what we maybe can expect in terms of the type of players he might um, look for, based on what you've looked into about kind of age, but also maybe about his involvement in the kind of youth department and at Rangers, which is looking, you know, the youth department is looking really promising at the moment for him. So that that's interesting. Um, any final things to say about Wilson or Rangers in that area before we have a look at Nick Cameron to Celtic? No, I just think that I wouldn't be surprised if Rangers didn't do too much in January. That's okay. all. 
Sure. Um, so Nick Hammond um, was appointed early in the summer um, at Celtic on some sort of interim uh, recruitment consultant basis. And he has subsequently been appointed to a role of head of football operations. So Hammond was born in Essex. Uh, he was a footballer, a goalkeeper, started at Arsenal. Uh, I don't think he played for them in you know senior team. Um, he played mainly at Swindon Town and Reading. Um, didn't play a great deal in his career. I think he had some sort of recurrent back injury. Um, he then became a goalkeeper coach for Reading and then Youth Academy Director in 2000 and then Director of Football in 2003. Then in April 2016, he went to West Bromwich Albion as Technical Director. Um, until June 2019, he, he came up to Celtic after being dismissed at West Bromwich Albion. Um, so do, do you have any kind of thoughts about um, Hammond and about you know what Celtic can expect and what he's done so far, Gavin? I think that the moves that he's made look like they've really sort of paid off so mm. far. Um, I think he's been quite smart with, um, you know, some of the short-term fixes, like maybe El Yanoussi and, and Bauer uh, on loan, but then also... Um, the things that maybe stood out for me, these maybe aren't the uh, super exciting ones, but um, he seemed to have snapped up a lot of talent from uh, English Premiership sort of uh, youth and reserve teams. Uh, yep. we've, we've already spoke about the impact Frimpong's had, yep. um, but Neil Lennon was very uh, positive about uh, James Alaphobe, uh the striker, who they brought in from Southampton. Yep. Um, they brought in Luca Connell from, uh, I think it was Bolton, uh, who was very highly rated, uh, and I can't remember the kid's name now, but there was the the one from Man United as well. So, um, who I think was a Republic of Ireland under twenty one. Um, so I think th- those are all sort of future planning um, mm-hmm. moves that players that have maybe shown enough uh, potential that um, you know Celtic have went out and got. And like I mentioned, we've already seen the success of Frimpong, but also mm-hmm. I think uh, from Hammond, there's a bit of diversity there in terms of. The types of players he's brought in, um, the, like where they've came from. Um, so I think for me, uh, he seems quite well-rounded in terms of his approach to, um, you know, uh, recruitment. Um, I'm not too sure what sort of impact he has on the academy level mm. um, at the, the sort of uh, younger age groups. But for me, it's you know, it's all positives. And I was very skeptical about bringing someone in for a transfer window. Mm. Um, but it looks like it's sort of paid off for Celtic and he looks like he's been able to identify the types of player that uh, Neil Lennon wanted and they're certainly being successful. Mm. Yeah, I think it seems like he's had a a successful summer um, for Celtic. I had a look back at his time at West Bromwich Albion and I think he did face some criticism for um, how... Uh, the players that he recruited did. Um, it's very difficult to tell from the outside to what extent he was responsible for those players and what were the signings of managers. You know, he served there um, with Tony Pulis and Alan Pardew. Um, and, you know, it, 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 as I said, it, it's difficult to tell what was kind of his buy and so on. But ultimately, you know, it's his role. He's accountable for things. Um, they spent quite a lot of money and quite a few of the players were um, maybe a lot older than the ones you've kind of pointed to that Wilson um, brought in. Maybe, you know, some more kind of um, veteran type buys or kind of people with more kind of experience, less kind of people with upsides. I guess the thing that maybe Hammond could point to at this point is that WBA are now first in the championship and they do still have some of the players that he brought in playing for them. So, you know, maybe this is just a case of people needing a little bit of time to come good, and, and with a bit of hindsight, you know, um, you, you can see that. But also, um, you know, maybe, as I said, it's it's difficult to know what was really his choice and whatnot, and um, certainly everything he's done for Celtic in the summer so far seems to be quite good. I, I did feel as well that, I mean, we don't know his involvement really in it, but Celtic, I think got a fair price for Tierney. Um maybe you know, twenty five million. Um it's a pretty reasonable fee for um a Scottish club to get and, and has set a bit of a standard for what maybe Celtic and even, you know, indeed other clubs can maybe expect to do if they are selling people in the future. So that's maybe something that having somebody in that kind of role can can help with too. Um as I said, it's difficult to tell what his involvement in, in that 
was or, or would be. I felt that in their statement about his appointment, Celtic were maybe a little less clear in terms of what the role was in comparison to what kind of came out when Rangers appointed Wilson. And um, that may change, you know, as more kind of press conferences happen and so on. But essentially, what Celtic seemed to say as a quote would be that. Hammond would oversee the club's football operations, working alongside the football manager, Neil Lennon. Um, and he said, in recent months, Nick has worked to bring a number of quality new signings to, the, to Celtic, working closely with Celtic manager Neil Lennon and Peter Lowell. Um, Nick has already undertaken a review of the club's recruitment and scouting functions, and he'll work immediately to implement his recommendations to support the football function. So um, it was kind of interesting to me that a lot of that is couched in language that he's supporting, that he's working with Lennon. Um, I don't really know what to take away from that at this point, but that was just kind of notable to me. Um, anything you want to say about Hammond at this point, Gavin? I think just on the quotes you mentioned there, I think that Peter Lawwell still has a big influence on Celtic's uh, transfer policy and there will always be that um, thing for him to sort of take into his considerations that effectively I think you'll find it in you know, different Celtic uh, outlets that... that Lowell still has the final say on things that maybe he's not the expert in. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. Um, and just kind of finally, um, we, we did kind of say that we would maybe have a look at what both teams might do in January. You, you hinted that you think there may not be that much business done by Rangers. But what if um, Wilson or Hammond were potentially considering doing something? Is there a kind of position that you think would be the one to kind of strengthen in January to win the league for that particular club or a player to go to or go for or anything like that? Oh. Yep. So uh, for Rangers, I actually spent a little bit of time looking at this earlier mm. on and um, I found I actually found one player, which is, you know, this is a, a needle in a haystack prediction, but um, I was looking at League Two uh, mm. in France where I feel like okay. maybe there's something that Rangers can do there in that uh, division. Mm. Um, and a, a guy stood out to me called uh, Adrian Gribich. Um, okay. who can play uh, he's playing up front for Clermont, uh, he okay. scored 7 goals in 11 games but mm -hmm. uh, the thing that stood out for me was that he can also play um, left and right wing and has played there previously for uh, his club Altach so, uh, and he's got a pretty good goal scoring record um, mm -hmm. so I thought maybe that's something that could help Rangers having a, someone that is a forward but is also versatile enough to contribute mm -hmm. in different areas. You mentioned the the lack of maybe a goal threat and quality in the wider mm -hmm. areas. Yep. Um, so he sort of stood out to me and I feel like that's the sort of market that Rangers want to look at. Kribich is 23, mm -hmm. uh, started off at Stuttgart. Um, and that is a very specific pick, right? But it just stood out. To I me. love that. That's great. A um, lot of goals for him at um, national team uh, junior level, like up until under 21s. I don't think he's been capped for the, the senior team for Austria, but loads of goals there. And yeah, like you said, a good pedigree. He's been youth player at VFP Stuttgart. Um, things have clearly stalled a wee bit for him, and he's, he's now in League Two. But I like it. Good shout. Um, we'll need to watch some of him and see what we think in a bit more detail. Um, anybody else for, for Rangers? Have you looked at anybody for Celtic? Or uh, I, I wasn't... Again, this is like I mentioned earlier, this is where I find it really hard to identify what you do. I feel like these yep. both these clubs might have more outgoings than they, they do have yep. incomings, um, especially if neither is in Europe after Christmas. Um, for Celtic, I wasn't able to pinpoint a specific name, but... Mm. Um, I think may, there's maybe something like you mentioned in the in the centre back area with Jack Hendry um, not looking like he's going to be an answer and Zemunovic, um with his uh, injury woes. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised to see Celtic do something there, but I couldn't think of a specific name um, that felt right, uh, and I wasn't sure whether it would be a loan or a permanent just yet. Sure. Okay. I mean, I think I, I kind of agree with you in terms of the positions you've identified and so on. Um, I, I think that a lot hinges on how close um, you know things are at that time. Celtic and Rangers play each other on the 29th of December, and then you know the window starts and there's no matches for a bit with the winter break. So if things are kind of neck and neck, I think maybe you know somebody might try and do. Um, 
something, you know, maybe a pretty interesting loan. Um, and I love your suggestion of the type of player and position that Rangers would go for. I think that's probably what they need to be looking at. Um, for Celtic, yeah, maybe a centre back. I, I was thinking that there might still be um, the opportunity for them to try and bring in some sort of box to box two way midfielder. So, you know, they, they looked at. Um, Sergio Quintero and Jose Sufuentes in the summer um, if they could get one of those that would be ideal I, I don't know about the prospects of that happening but in terms of <coughs> given that you mentioned League 2 um, there's a guy Sheikh Dakure, uh Malian midfielder that plays for Long in League 2 um, he's 19 years old um, he is a really good kind of ball progressor, dribbler, press resistant, um, very athletic player, can play in the centre of midfield. That's the type of player. Um, I don't know if they get him. I assume there's interest from lots of teams in him, but he is playing in League Two um, and, and he's quite young. So, you know, Celtic could be a good option for him at this point. Um, so that kind of sums up things for us uh, in terms of uh, today's podcast. Um, as I said, Celtic and Rangers play each other um, towards the end of the year. Um, so we'll, we'll kind of check back in and see how the title hunt's going at that point. Um, Gavin mentioned that we'll have some bonus podcasts out um, this week about the European matches, and there's also the Pure Championship podcast to check out. Before we go, do you have any kind of final words, Gavin? No, just thank you so much for everyone that uh, has been listening, uh, and just be sure to check out our website as well, um, purefitball.com. There's a few articles that have gone up recently, um, and hopefully there'll be some more in the future as well. Great. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.